0: Welcome to Watershed September podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove. I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed.
1: My name is Tara Judah, and I'm the cinema producer here at Watershed.
0: And we're going to be looking at what's coming up this month in the cinema here at Watershed.
1: Following on from a a stupendous August here at Watershed where we had so many wonderful films made by women and especially our uh, Gleaning Truths, Agnes Varda season, which was just a a wonderful opportunity to revisit a lot of her works and a real joy for me, um, especially to see some of those back on the big screen. We will have her new film, which mm-hmm. was Oscar-nominated, Faces, Places, Visage, Village, which she made with JR, who is a photographer and visual artist, uh, uh, where the two of them take this incredible camera van that JR has, which is sort of like a kind of photo booth van that prints large-scale and, I mean, really large-scale portraits, and they take those and cover walls and surfaces all across French countryside. They visit farmers, they go to factory workers, villages, dock workers, um, and take pictures of people, put them up, let people look at themselves, look at the landscape. Uh, and it's a really beautiful travelling documentary, um, a road movie of sorts even, um, and one that kind of brings the sort of playfulness uh, together with those serious social issues that is so famous for doing. So for anyone who liked, especially The Gleaners and I, uh, this is a real brilliant follow-up to that and a really contemporary take on some of those issues in um, a really beautiful photographic way and it's worth saying also that along with JR Agnes Varda started out as a photographer so this is very much celebrating also the photographic medium.
0: It is very much a a distilled Agnes Varda I feel you know that as that way in which artists sort of as they um, mature their work becomes really refined. So two things with the season that we've just had and um, one is that seeing the the concerns and, the, as you say, the playfulness, but the social concerns, all those issues that Agnes Varda... They, they come into really, get playful focus in her new film. The second thing I've got to say is, of course, seeing you dressed as a potato, giving mm-hmm. a talk on Agnes Varda was also one of the highlights... Of the season, and and that is uh, that's been recorded now, hasn't it? The, your talk,
1: yes. So should be available to watch uh, Curzon Artificial Eyes YouTube online for anyone who missed my potato debut.
0: And and it, it was a great debut. Um, and if you are interested in more context for um, Varda's Faces Places, then I do recommend having a watch of that because you you do. Layout really fascinating background to Varda's, to Varda's work and increasingly her, um, if it was going to increase any more her stature within the 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 film firmament. Other new films that are coming up, um, one I particularly like is uh, The Rider, which is this so excited uh, about this. Yeah, which is an independent American film, very independent American film, small. Uh, a small film, but with a huge, huge heart. Um, And a bit like uh, Leave No Trace, not similar thematically-wise to Leave Leave No Trace, but what it shares is that, you know, Leave No Trace, if people remember that from a couple of months back, is that it showed you an American community, a disenfranchised uh, American community that kind of stepped outside the mainstream. Um, But there was a lot of love and a lot of heart to it in, in, in that community. Uh, similarly with the Rider, um, what we're looking at here is contemporary Native American, um, particularly in Dakota, and following uh, a young um, Sioux cowboy. And, I, and it's not a, a contemporary view of America that we've really seen in, in cinema. And so it's great for those images in the story, but what becomes remarkable about the Rider is that so this, this um, young Sioux uh, cowboy is Rodeo Rider has been told that he can't ride again because if he does, he he risks um, permanently damaging himself and, you know, ruining, and that's it. And as the film evolves, um, you suddenly realise maybe this isn't actors, actually. Maybe this Mm. is not being acted, you know. Oh, hang on a second. And that opening up of that relation, or blurring, rather, that relationship between um, the, the the fiction and the real is r- such an amazing thing um, that the writer manages to do. And it does it through the, the cinematography in particular, but also the performances from, you know, I'm assuming, um, I haven't done a huge amount of research into it, but I'm assuming people who are actually the people that are being portrayed.
1: It's so fascinating. There's actually a few films this month that will uh, carry on that theme of kind of, are they acting or is this a real life or a kind of documentary performance um just briefly to mention american animals filmed by bart layton who follow up to the imposter so is much more of a docudrama than his previous work but also plays with that idea of kind of blurring the lines between documentary and uh, performance. But also coming out this month is Skate Kitchen. And this film is a magnificent blowing of those lines in that in on the one hand, it kind of is almost completely a documentary because all of the young women in the film are absolutely doing what they do in their everyday lives which is skateboarding around the center of New York City and in the boroughs and kind of playfully living their lives, having conversations, getting up to mischief. But on the other hand, is absolutely not a documentary. Um, Because it is loosely scripted, it was rehearsed, there is a storyline, it's not the exact storyline of their lives. And this is a follow-up feature from Crystal Mazzel, who people may remember her film The Wolf Pack, Mm. um, which was a a straight documentary where she did uh, look at at a group of young boys. But this is a kind of drama fictionalized about real people, so very similar in a way to what the writers doing all 19 to 25 year old young women. Uh, She basically encountered them one day on the G train, you know, saw them hanging out with their skateboards and thought, Listen to their conversation and approached them, had a conversation with them and then kind of got together this idea of filming something. Um, People might have seen a short film that she made, which is actually of these young women skateboarding called That One Day, it's available online if you wanna look it up, commissioned by Miu Miu, so it's a little bit more fashion-tastic and kind of commercialized than the actual film that we're going to see. But that idea of there being one day in your life when everything changes, Um, and so, you know she kind of got that story together and then the remarkable thing about these young women and the skateboarding as well is that a lot of their uh what what takes off so skate kitchen is actually the name of the group the young girls um, and I should say that there are lots of Young men and boys in this film as well. It's not only the the women, but that the the name skate kitchen came um, As one of them said every time I'd seen a video of a girl skating the comments would say oh She should be in the kitchen, so I've kind of been mocking them <laughs> So she's got her skate kitchen <laughs> um, And what they do is they make videos of themselves doing ollies and kickflips and all this other cool stuff around the city and um, and they put it on Instagram and so it kind of has this online life and actually on Instagram is also where and this is an interesting thing about the film is there are two quite famous actors in this film even though everyone else is just playing pretty much a version of themselves and that's Elizabeth Rodriguez who people might know from Orange is the New Black um, and Yadin Smith and Yadin Smith actually was someone who met The kind of main actress on Instagram. They started up this conversation online, thought it was cool. And she forced him to come and actually, she was like, all right, you know, if you wanna be in this film, if we wanna do something together, you've gotta come here. Hang out with us, skateboard with us. Um, and it was so, it was like an actor who could skateboard. So, this film is, you know, got some extraordinary footage of really cool skateboarding, plus great fashion. I've got to say, this these young women's fashion is absolutely mm. lit. There's a kind of pair of hot pink um, shorts and a backwards cap with rhinestones on it that, you know, if I was a little bit younger, I would certainly be wearing.
0: I won't be wearing.
1: <laughs> no, you no. won't, you, you won't be just, wearing. Just on the,
0: the <laughs> just on the skate kitchen, you, that, that thing about the kitchen that you just mentioned, um, what's going through my mind is, is, and we'll talk about it later, is the working class on, on screen season that we've got in September as well. And these films became journalistically defined as kitchen sink drama. Yes, which which I think is a really derogatory term. I'm really uncomfortable with the term kitchen sink because of the way in which it positions, um, and we'll, we'll come and talk about the films. But I think that's really great that what these young skaters are doing is flipping that uh, mm-hmm. notion of the of of the kitchen, you know, and what that the, what that means and Absolutely. Sort of reappropriating and,
1: it and re- making the kitchen the street. you yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah. It's so great. They kind of yeah. it's not a domestic space at all. I love the way that they've used that um, to be something that is actually so mobile, so agile um, and so at one with the kind of actual surface texture and, and tapestry of the city and it has nothing to do with being confined to a particular space.
0: Just going back a bit to and bringing back the um, the rider for, for a second is that you know what one of the that and what we're saying about that Way in which fiction and, and, and documentary gets blood, and of course, as soon as you mention documentary, you think of a particular technique, mm. and I think you think of a, of somebody observing from the out, you know, from, somebody from the outside observing in. That was slightly my concern about Wolfpack, um, um, you know, the skate kitchen's pre um, director's previous film um, was this that where it tips into voyeurism. Uh, the thing about The Rider that's really quite extraordinary is that when it's it's playing with that. Distinction between um, fiction or it's navigating fiction and, and and reality, and not documentary. But it, it you don't you feel as though you, it, it's the, the director's embedded in that community is part of that. You know you you don't feel the separation out. And I was thinking it it it's almost it's magical re- it's a it's magical realism that what the director. Chloe out has, has managed to do. So that it, it, there's a magical quality to it, but you, it, you then begin to think, hang on a minute, What's, what is it that I'm actually looking at here? So I would, I would really, uh, both films, Skate Kitchen and The Rider, I think two really strong films that we've got on this month. Now we have to talk about, I'm sorry about this, but we have to talk about Gaspar Noe's climax. Do we? That is coming up this month as well. Now, I always knew that that um, well, we know Gaspar Noé is the... the is it a
1: documentary? The,
0: it's, it's very much not a documentary. I'm pleased it, but to you, hear that. But you could But you could view all of his work actually as documentaries about his psyche. It, Gaspar Noé, uh, uh, as, as we know, is the enfant terrible, um, the maverick, all these terms that are um, bad boy of of, of cinema. And I saw this in Cannes earlier this year. I hadn't realised it was actually on. I hadn't realised it had a new film. And my previous experience was watching Gaspar Noé's Love, which was a horrible experience. I didn't um, bother with uh, it was a, It was a horrible <laughs> experience. Um, and I just thought, Gaspar, you have really come to the the buffers on your project, um, Terrorise the Audience. Um, And I think he's always, he's occupied that space of, I am going to confront the audience um, and I'm going to rub your face in it um, and and I'm going to see how you, you you know, how you respond. And actually, do you know what? I don't care how you respond because I'm still going to go and make the films.
1: But does he do anything else? Because it's all very well and good saying, I'm going to confront the audience, but then what is the function of confronting the audience? Because my issue with his kind of, you know that catalogue of films, from including Irreversible and Into the Void, it is that beyond that device of oh look, I've shocked you, they don't actually do very much. I, so I, I'm I'm, cu- I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm both weary, yes. hesitant, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and cautious yeah. approaching his new film, but curious. Well, I I.
0: And this is a discussion that also leads into Lars von Trier and, of course, he's got his new controversial film, The House That Jack Built, was on in, in Cannes. And I'm, I'm sure we'll be showing that in months to come. And I think this is a debate that we will, we will continue, um, which is what is it that, that is trying to be done with this confrontation? Now, with Gaspar Noy, I, I really liked um, Soul Contra 2, his, his first film. Um, I was thrilled and enjoyed the confrontation, um, and the visceral nature of that, and the what was happening in the audience as well, the impact, a funny story actually, when he was in Edinburgh Film Festival when it was premiered up there, uh, a story of him standing at the back of the auditorium to see how many people uh, walked out, and what their response was, which, you know, that's that's his prerogative, but it, it's that thing about he's obviously wanting to to do this. Um, I, much as I found irreversible, traumatic, I I thought it was extraordinary filmmaking, um, and actually delivered a, a really thoughtful for me a, a conclusion at the end. And it's it's a film that I do think about a lot. Other ones um, and especially love, I just thought that, that this is where your project is just is gone it's gone, lost everything. So spill forward to um, cannes this year. I think to myself, you know what, as a professional in the business, I have got to go and see. Gaspar Noe's climax. I'm already annoyed at him that I've got to say I'm going to watch Gaspar Noe's climax because we all know the tittle, the, the tittering that, that he will have, but the very fact that you've, you, you, you say that. Um, so, I'm going to refuse so, to say and, it. And, and, and you have <laughs> every right to refuse to say it as well. Um, so I was standing in the queue going, Oh, I'm doing my job here. I'm doing it for, I'm doing it for y'all. I'm going to watch it. Um, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. An extraordinary, intense, cinematic tour de force. What it means, I, 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 I you know, what the film means. Let's have that conversation in, um, um, at some point. But I, I, I went in thinking, oh Lord. And I came out going, this is just the most extraordinary film um, I've seen. And I I, I want to put it on, and I want to tell people to come along and see it. And let's have, as I say, let's have the conversation. So I just completely flipped, and I went, Gaspar, you're going to destroy me?
1: So I'm going to (laughs) go see it, and I will have that conversation with you afterwards. And I think we should all we should all see it and then talk about yes. it afterwards see if we're happy with uh, your recommendation or yes, not yes
0: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you'll be hearing well, from me yeah. one way or
1: another <laughs> i'm
0: sure i'm sure i will um, so that's my, that's one of my recommendations this uh, in september is is Gaspar Noé's Climax
1: so i'm going to recommend a film that actually goes back to being a documentary but is also very uh, kind of i guess interrogative of this idea of what a documentary is who has the right to make it Um, what's another ring lens whose choices go into the final work Um, and this is the new film Matangi Maya MIA so it's documentary about the rap artist um, singer MIA and her background and it focuses much more on uh, the history of kind of not just how she came into music but also how she came into I guess the kind of World in which music sits in and what's most fascinating for me about this this film is that actually I hadn't really realized that She herself started out wanting to be a documentary filmmaker Okay, Um, so it's made by Steve Loveridge who studied with her at Central Saint Martins in London So they were students together at at kind of art college and they a lot of the footage is from those days of them hanging out um, making films some of it is actually Matangi's footage, Maya's footage. um, And I think, you know, there has since the film came out, it premiered at Sundance, been a little bit of a kind of beef between the two of them about who owns the footage. She's not credited as a filmmaker, but some of the footage is her own. Documentary filmmaking so uh, for anyone who doesn't know a little bit about her. She was uh, came to the UK as a refugee Her family came as refugees Uh, her father was uh, one of the founding members of the Tamil Tiger resistance So she goes back to Sri Lanka Um, She films some of her family uh, the people there the struggle she talks about it. She's very politicized um, figure and then it also kind of Follows the trajectory of her in the public eye as an outspoken uh, person, as a woman who is speaking out about political issues, who's often hushed by the media because they just want her to be a pretty singer. Um, and so there's this interesting kind of tension going on with that. But I think what's interesting about this film really in terms of how documentaries get made and who has the right to tell them is that, you know, retrospectively, she's a bit like, oh, he took all of the cool out. He took out all the lines, you know, all the bits, all the shows where I look good, tossed it in the bin. Um, There's not much of her music in the film. She feels like if you squash all the music together, it only makes up for about four minutes. And she can't understand how that's part of it. She said, it's not the film that I would have made. Um, and that's an interesting reflection as well on who gets to tell a story. I think uh, Steve Loveridge has kind of talked back to that and said, well, of course It's not the film she would have made, but people shouldn't make films about themselves Which is also an interesting question who gets to tell the documentary story? Um, so it's 22 years of her life There was over 700 hours of footage, you know, it's um, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff when she was on tour with Justine Frischman from Elastica, there's all kinds of interesting stuff about her creating paper planes with diplo so i think for people who are interested in her as a figure as a musician as a political spokesperson that this this film is really fascinating but also because it just asks so many questions about how you put together a documentary what you put in what you leave out and who's right it is to tell those stories um i think it's going to be a really fascinating one to kind of uh, learn something about her life, but also respond to with questions.
0: Mm. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. One I've not seen and know the musician's sort of previous work and and her activism and how she brings together the um, the music and her activism and and um, so I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to seeing that very much. I mentioned earlier the uh, working class on screen, which is a, a major season that we're going to be presenting over September and October, actually in the Um, the brunch uh, selections on the Sunday uh, afternoon, um, which kicks off this uh, month with um, a look back. um, God, I was going to say a look back in anger. Um, If only... um, (laughs)
1: That's the famous line. Exactly. Um, A look back at um, the
0: the influential, hugely influential um, British... um, work uh, films from the late fifties and early sixties, which came out of, um, I guess, you know, one of the touchstones from it was John Osborne's um, play, Look Back in Anger. He subsequently set up a film company with Tony Richardson, Woodfall Films, in order to make the film of the stage play, Look Back in Anger. But they subsequently went on to make, as I say, these quite groundbreaking films about British, whose stories were British working class experience, um, and largely outside of London uh, experience, which I think is really important. Um, and so what um, the, f- the films that we're going to be screening uh, are Saturday night, Sunday morning, um, with with the memorable performance by Albert Finney, um, as Arthur Seaton, who works in the Raleigh bike factory in Nottingham, and who famously defiantly says, I'm out to have a good time. All the rest is propaganda. <laughs> um, Don't let the bastards grind you down. And what you're seeing was an actor who I would say had, has this sort of physical appeal of somebody like a young Brando, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a factory, saying defiantly, I'm out for a good time, all the rest is propaganda. Um, and so these were the first times that you're seeing these uh, images on screen, other ones that the, that company, um, Woodfall Films, that um, John Osborne and Tony Richardson set up made the loneliness of a long distance runner. Tom Courtney is a sort of defiant, young working class lad who's in a barstool um, and who is the long distance runner uh, of, of of the title. As I say, they they were dealing also with subject matter um, that just had not been um, dealt with on screen like, you know, Life Inside a Factory, Life in a Borstal, Poor Cow, which is uh, one of Ken Loach's early films from the early 60s about, you know, a young uh, single woman living in squalor and poverty in London. So not the the swinging 60s that we so often think about. uh, and the other, the fourth film that we'll be screening is Billy Liar again with Tom Courtney, which is, which 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 is less that realist thing that those three films were going for in some ways, but but brings in a kind of um, a, a, a more fantasy uh, based element.
1: And what I think so fascinating too about this this time that we're sort of seeing distilled on screen is that actually it feeds into this much wider narrative that's been. A conversation we've been having all year really, Um, since the May 68 anniversary, the Workers Unite, um, marking that the kind of revolt she said season, the idea of all of these things coming out of the late 60s, of this period of Um, change of something in the air that very kind of heady notion and then how that actually will be really fascinating to look at in October for the next series of Sunday brunches which I'm sure we'll talk about in due course but the idea of how that then broke out into a more kind of intersectional understanding um, of some of these issues and I think it's a really great time to revisit class because of that because we need to talk about the kind of intersectionality um, of of those fractured things that that are you know very much coming to a head and are very resonant today.
0: Mm. And I think, you know, that's what's been interesting, putting the season on, you know, as you say, and this has been driven by, uh, largely driven by Danny Lee, um, who's taken on a, a, his new post at the archive at the BFI in London, and he was very keen to begin to have this discussion, you know, with audiences, with curators, um, with professionals about uh, working class, not just representation, but also there are other elements about access to the industry, uh, you know how do, how do young actors like you know those actors that we will see in those early films um how, how how do people get into the business now you know so there are questions in the background as well for the industry to answer and I think we've had a lot of discussion about diversity in terms of um, race and gender but actually class is something that's not been uh, been discussed and this is partly Danny I think trying to sort of bring that uh, up to the fore but going back to the films is that what you have with these with September and October, as you say, is that in, in September we're looking at the sort of older films, and the, the notion of class was more clearly defined. I think there was much, you know, there's was a clearer idea of what working class meant and was, and 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 then we'll look at the, as you say, the intersections with race and gender uh, more in the work from the sort of late 90s and early 2000s, and I think there's there's now more of a question about, well, what does class actually mean? So this major season over September October raised lots of questions, but what I would also urge people to do is go and see these amazing films because when you go back to them I mean the Woodfall films that from the, the, the 50s and 60s were so dynamic so full of energy and as I said going back to the kitchen sink thing that's what I got annoyed about by by them sort of being lumped into that oh it's that social realism from up north oh it's that kitchen sink drama you know these were feisty aggressive you, you, you know they were fighting for something they were kicking against the establishment they were you know and, and they were subversive and they were radical and so to just see these films back on the screen, just simply as a cinematic thing, I think is a, is, is a huge joy.
1: Yeah, it's also finding uh, the beauty within that sort of concept of something being grim and that brings us to, uh, in my mind, another film that is really exceptional uh, and that's Pavel Pawlokowski's Cold War. Of course, of which course. Yeah. Is a story about his grim as grim as it gets film. in terms uh, of absolutely politics.
0: Absolutely <laughs> extraordinary film.
1: But the most beautiful yeah. thing to look at uh, on, and on the big screen, so important. The same cinematographer from Ida, people may remember, um, Lucas Thal, and the depth of the black and white is really Exceptional in this film um, There's so much beauty in the detail. It's such an incredible story bringing together Romanticism love all of that sort of personal connection with very much that same idea of the personal is political and how that kind of Resonates in a wider context as we look at these lovers over the years over the wars throughout, <laughs> You know kind of looking at the 50s and 60s in this clean crisp. Way, but also um, through the incredible challenges and the, the it, intensely difficult um, and abhorrent politics of the era.
0: Well, and it's it's a film about creativity as liberation. It's about being creative. is is about freedom.
1: With the most stunning songs that you will ever hear, I, I cannot speak highly enough to the music and the, the uh, choristic. Um, lyricism of this film that you need to hear it in surround yeah. sound in a cinema. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I it, will be watching this uh, film again uh, and again. It is one of those
0: films <laughs> that is deep. And it is wide, and it is absolutely beguiling. And you, you simply have to you simply have to see this film. Pavel Pawlowski's Cold War. It is it, it it resonates. It is extraordinary piece of, of cinema. But it, it's exploring some very profound concepts. And of course, pa- Pawlowski is Polish. He was based in the UK for um, a long time. I think he's based in Paris now. Um, people have seen um, the Last Resort. Um, you know, other earlier films that he's made, but he's, with Ida and now with Cold War, he's revisited Poland, and it's very much a film about Poland and about um, his his parents, actually, I think his parents' experience informed the, the film, and it's about that the struggle that Poland went through in facing communism and life under communism and, as I say, the, the, the freedom that music, jazz music, the liberation of jazz, you know, the jazz music and all its... Um, improvisation and um, the way in which it makes you feel. Uh, And he conveys all of those things. And and it's also like a, a, a film that was made in Poland in the 1950s, that's been sent to us through time to now, so it's got that amazing cinematography that the only Polish cinematographers got in the early days with um, in Polish cinema in the sort of 1950s, but yet it's so contemporary, um, and it's so but now. And if, if if you loved Ida, you absolutely love Cold War, but but if you if you don't know his work and if you don't know it, go and see this film.
1: Oh, absolutely, it's exceptional, it really is going to be one of the films at the end of the one year of the that we, we year, just can't decade, stop talking whole, about. Yeah, 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 going to yeah, come back completely. to it again and again. I'm going to watch it on the big screen as many times as yes. possible.
0: Yes, I, I shall be there as well. Um, and so should you. So that is all for this month. Thank you very much.